It's the US Sports Podcast with me, Max Whittle, and today, former Major Leaguer. He played for eight Major League Baseball teams. Carlos Pena is joining me today. He played for Tampa Bay, Texas, Oakland, the Cubs, the Red Sox, and many more. He's going to be joining me in a little bit to talk about his career, his work with MLB UK. Carlos will be in London for the July 4th event. If you haven't heard about this, at Hyde Park, there is a home run derby. Yes, you heard that right, in London. We are playing baseball. Carlos Pena, Sean Green, Cliff Floyd, former major leaguers coming over here. We're also going to have England cricketers Joss Butler, Alex Hales and a few other people on stage at the British Summertime Festival smashing baseballs off the stage. If that sounds like something you'd like to watch, I would suggest coming down to Hyde Park. Carlos is going to come on a bit and you're going to see his energy, his enthusiasm. You don't want to see it, you're going to hear it, but you may as well be seeing it because he's very passionate uh, so Carlos is going to join me very soon. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at Max underscore Whittle if you have any questions. And apologies um, after the Joel Embiid podcast. I did say I would have Dennis Sire, an NBA regular, on to go back on the finals. We've moved that to next week now. We're going to get into the draft because that's this Thursday, of course. And by that point, there's going to be a little bit more news to come out of the NBA. So let's start there before we get to Carlos. The Knicks, the Knicks, the Knicks, the Knicks, the Knicks. What do we say about the New York Knicks? Because the NBA should be sleeping right now. The finals are over. There's no more games. Take a nap. You know when you feel tired, just go to bed. No, the NBA wants to ramp it up. And remember, all the bad teams get spoken about in the offseason. All the good teams, specifically Golden State and Cleveland, they stay, they stay quiet. They, they, they've done their business on the court. That's not quite the case, though, for the Cavs. And we'll get to David Griffin in a little bit. But first, this tweet caught my eye. Uh, I've just been going through Twitter before recording this to make sure we're up to date. Uh, the Knicks doing the rounds. Kristaps Porzingis, Phil Jackson is apparently not ruling out a move for Porzingis out of New York, which must be brilliant news for Porzingis, who is clearly finding out very quickly that Phil Jackson is not what he is as a coach, as a team president, and the Knicks will not be winning anytime, anytime soon. Ian Begley, at Ian Begley on Twitter for ESPN, no one from the Knicks organization has been in touch with Chris Stapps Porzingis since he skipped exit meetings per league sources. Okay, so first of all, can I just get inside the mind of the New York Knicks here? You've lucked into drafting Chris Stapps Porzingis. The only thing that Phil Jackson has done constructively since he was, became team president, in case, of, co- of course, we have to talk about Joe Kim Noah, great addition. But, I'm joking, of course, Porzingis coming in, being drafted, stroke of luck. Stroke of genius, stroke of luck. Because if the Lakers hadn't taken Russell and done, done their homework on Porzingis, he'd be in LA right now. So... The fact that Jackson gets him and then still wants to trade him after a very good start to his career. Clearly, Chris Stapps is going to be a superstar for years to come. He's got an all-around game. His skill set at 7 feet 2 to shoot the 3. He can score from the from the three-point line in. Incredible talent. He is known as a unicorn for a reason. And Jackson is shopping him. Today, teams have been calling the Knicks because that that's been made aware to them that this is a possibility. You can get... Porzingis, if you take Joachim Noah's contract off of our hands as a throw-in, Porzingis is up for up for grabs. The way the Knicks are run is is beyond belief. Uh, I was in New York in April, and Frank Isola, the New York Daily News, who is all over everything that has to do with the Knicks, follow him on Twitter. Great follow. 
he reports honestly and he's not afraid to say what he thinks of this nonsense about the triangle coaches ch- coaching changes the additions the Knicks have made Derek Rose Joakim Noah they are reportedly trying out all these draft prospects ahead of the Thursday draft and every workout they do with a draft prospect goes through a triangle workout so they are testing these players who have just come out of college have no history with the triangle whatsoever don't watch anything about the triangle because believe it or not New York Knicks everyone is watching the Golden State Warriors and how they play basketball not the triangle offense which was good in the 90s and you have Michael Jordan by the way which does help I hear you have college players coming in to work out for this team and they are running them through the triangle how do you see their true talent if you're doing that and and you cannot base players that you're going to draft on that because let's face it Jackson will not be there forever assuming James Dolan is not there forever Phil Jackson will not be there forever I must probably have to say that Jeff Hornacek says to his players halfway through the season we're going to do the, we're going to run the triangle now then he says we're not going to run the triangle Kurt Rambis is going to be your defensive specialist Jackson has a hold on that dressing room inside the coaching staff he's telling them what to do Jeff Hornacek is essentially a puppet and that's why he lost the respect of a lot of the players in the, in the locker room. There was so much noise about Carmelo Anthony's future last season and now we're talking about Kristaps Porzingis, the foundation of your franchise. Come on. It, it beggars belief that he is even up for grabs. But if the Knicks... Some people are saying, look, if the Knicks get a lot back for him and they will, they'll, demand, they'll make sure they do. Well, I, I hope they will. You know with Jackson's history that that might not be the case. But if they get a huge package for him, okay, great. But you've lost any goodwill you had with your fans because they were only coming out to Madison Square Garden the last two seasons to watch Porzingis. They were not coming out to watch anything else. Carmelo, fine. He scores. Great. He's a great scorer. That's it. He's not going to win. And he's not going to win in New York. Rant over about the Knicks. Paul George uh, of the NBA News has told the Indiana Pacers that he will not be signing after next season when he becomes a free agent. So naturally, Kevin Pritchard, the Pacers GM, is looking for spots to put George because if he doesn't if he plays out the next season in Indiana they're going to lose him for nothing and to, that's devastating to have an all-star one of the best players in the league top 15 player the way he's overcome that serious leg injury he was great in the postseason against uh, against the Cavs a few weeks ago a few months ago now in late April and if you lose him for nothing all that investment you know two Eastern Conference finals trips for George's Pacers so they're they're looking for a, they're looking for a deal. The, he he said that he wants to go to the Lakers next season. So the Lakers will have to reach out here because there is a risk if Paul George does end up in a Cleveland or a Boston, and he falls in love with the place. There's a risk that he might stay and sign a and a sign a long term deal in those for those teams. So the Lakers have to make sure that they can make a substantial offer and see what's see what's feasible. Speak to George as well about his future if he's definitely going to sign with the Lakers. Do the Cavs go in for him? You know, and on the on the status of the Cavs, David Griffin has been let go as general manager. Dan Gilbert, this will be his fifth GM, whoever comes in next. He had four GMs in 12 years. None of those GMs has ever signed a second deal. They've never re-signed as GM. David Griffin reportedly was in deep talks to bring Jimmy Butler to Cleveland. He was going to have a super package built up to bring in Jimmy Butler. I don't know what that involved. I'm sure Kevin Love's name was in there. J.R. Smith, Iman Shumpert, those names. But if Jimmy Butler was talking to Cleveland about moving there, 
because let's face it, we just watched the finals. LeBron James needs a quote-unquote super team to compete with this Golden State team. And then they let go of David Griffin. His contract situation was bizarre. This is a huge summer for Cleveland. LeBron James could leave after next year. LeBron James needs to get this team back to the finals, which is okay, that's fine, in the Eastern Conference, but they need to win. They need to challenge the Warriors more than they did this June. And if you're sacking, you know, they, it's this classic, they, you know, they, it was an agreement that they would, they would depart, Griffin would leave. That is a nice way of saying that he was let go. Why was David Griffin let go? Why? LeBron James wanted him to stay there. If LeBron James wants something, he should get it. I know he wanted Carl Corver and Darren Williams, and that didn't quite work out. But LeBron James is the GM. He is the owner. He is the best player. He is the head coach. For Dan Gilbert to do this, is he still not over LeBron James leaving all those years ago to go to Miami? Is he still not fully over that? Is that why he sometimes acts like this? You need stability here. David Griffin has done a great job of bringing in guys like JR, Iman Shumpert. That worked out fine. Timothy Mozgov, that even worked out well for Cleveland when, it, when, he, when he was there. He managed to get LeBron James back. Kevin Love was in that trade. He's done things. He, he added Darren Williams. He added Carl Corver. He cannot do anything else. They have no cap space. They have no ability, no draft assets to bring in anyone. So he is working with the largest player on the league, with a superstar who demands every day, every single day, in public, through the media, privately as well, I'm sure, to make this team a championship contender every single season. And he knows how LeBron works. He knows how this team works. And to fire him, and not only to fire him, but to be in this situation a few days before the draft, when deals will be done. I mean, keep an eye on Paul George, Jimmy Butler before the draft, because that's when teams have assets to move and to offer other teams in trades. To have David Griffin's contract situation up in the air until this point and then let him go at this point, at this stage, it's bizarre as well. I don't know what's going on with the NBA right now, actually. So maybe we should move to Major League Baseball because in London right now, it's a heat wave. It's 33 degrees and everyone's outside in shorts. If you're not in shorts at the office, then speak to your bosses because that has to change. So Carlos Pena, I mentioned this guy, eight major league teams during his professional career. He's mentioned in Moneyball. He had a stint with Oakland as well. So he's part of the Moneyball Billy Bean story. This guy is so energetic. I've never met anyone, never spoke to anyone who is so energetic and passionate about baseball. He now works for the MLB Network. He's an ambassador for MLB UK. If you haven't checked out MLB UK's coverage, go onto their Facebook, Instagram, Twitter channels. And you will see Carlos Pena doing his thing as an ambassador for the UK. He's going to be heading over here July the 4th, London, Hyde Park. There's going to be a home run derby and Carlos is going to take part in it. But he had a great career. He came from the Dominican Republic. He made it to the major leagues. He's got some fascinating stories. As you know, baseball stories are the best of stories. So let's get to Carlos Pena now for our special guest this week. He played for eight Major League teams during his professional career, including the Tampa Bay Rays, Chicago Cubs, Boston Red Sox. Former Major Leaguer Carlos Pena is on the line. Carlos, how are you today? Doing great. Really excited to be with you, Max, and uh, just to uh, share a little bit about me uh, with everyone. Uh, I'm I'm really looking uh, forward to meeting everyone uh, pretty soon, so uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, we should put this into context. Uh, Start with the nutso topic that is Major League Baseball, like the NFL and the NBA before them, they're all in on globalizing the sport and you will be competing 
uh, in a home run derby in Hyde Park, London on July the 4th. It sounds pretty crazy. When you received that phone call telling you the news, did you think it was a prank? <laughs> pretty much. I was like, oh, wait a second. Okay, can you please repeat that one more time? <laughs> home run derby in London. I'm like, what? But, uh, you know, once we got talking about it, I'm like, this is uh, awesome. Like, this is really, 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 really cool. And, uh, and wow, things are just, uh, you know, just in place for something really exciting uh, coming up. And, yes, you know, all we want to do is promote this beautiful game of baseball and get everyone in the whole entire U.K. excited about this uh, awesome, awesome game, the game of baseball. How do you think this is going to look? Have you been to London before? Yes, uh, I've been there once before with my wife, and uh, man, it's absolutely gorgeous. We love London; it's beautiful. One of our favorite uh, destinations. Uh, you know, we we love traveling. So, when we went by London, uh, we didn't want to leave. Uh, to be honest with you. So when they said, "Okay, uh, this is gonna be a home run derby in London," I'm like, "Well, I'm definitely not uh, complaining about going back to London. I love London." Now you add a little baseball to that; that just makes it even better. So. Uh, Looking forward to it, uh, uh, really. It's going to be so exciting, so much fun. Hey, and it's taking place as part of the British Summertime Festival. You know, that means you're going to have to compete with Justin Bieber for your time. That's going to be tough. Yeah, I, I guess so, you know. But you know what? I'll take him. I'll take Justin, you know. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. I can, you know, I know I know. he, you know, it's not too late to say I'm sorry. You know what I mean? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Look at you. You can tell you've got kids, or are you a fan of his music? <laughs> I got kids. I got kids. <laughs> so Bieber's number one. I've been that song pretty much every single day on the radio. Okay? <laughs> oh, man. So, so Daddy Pena is number two behind Justin Bieber in the household, is he? <laughs> man. Nah, I look forward to it. It's going to be so much fun. I mean, I think that, that during the music festival, just everyone together um, and just uh, enjoying um, you know, having a good time. You know, not only music, arts. You know, it's uh, it's something that brings everyone close together, and at the same time, that's the same thing that baseball does. You know, here in America, so we can't we can't wait to share it with with the Brits and you know the whole entire UK. So I'm in a boring studio. Can you describe your surroundings right now? Because it sounds pretty fun where you are. <laughs> yeah, well, right now, specifically right now, I'm in Dominican Republic. This is where I'm from. And if I look across ahead, I'm, I'm just staring into the Caribbean Sea. I'm actually on a beach, Juan Dolio, Dominican Republic, and uh, the kids are, are playing soccer on the sand and uh, just uh, having a wonderful time. We love it here. You know, this is, this is a great pl- place, Max. You should come over and, and, uh, and really uh, take it all in. And I, I'll say that for everyone. You should come visit Dominican Republic. <laughs> I think you fall in love with it. There yeah. you go. Carlos Pena, open invitation to everyone in the UK. You're going to have uh, a lot of cooking to do. Um, <laughs> listening, listening to major leaguers tell stories is, is one of my favorite hobbies because they, they always have so many. You, you, grew, you just said you grew up in the Dominican. Baseball's a religion over there, but you adapted the game slightly as a youngster. How did you play baseball originally? You know, it was crazy because really the first time I played organized, baseball was when I was 10 years old and in many cases as you would say that's late you know in, in the United States kids start playing t-ball coach pitch you know and they go up the ranks uh, ever since they are four or five years old you know I started playing organized baseball when I was 10 here in Dominican Republic but the thing is that I was playing street baseball ever since I remember I could walk 
Uh, so we're out there with my with my buddies, and we will pitch to each other. We we have uh, a, a game actually that you would find very interesting because it's called La Plaquita, which is pretty much cricket. You know, just uh, modified to fit in the streets. You know, um, I used to play that game. We used to play caps, which is a, a game where you grab the cap of a of a water tank, really, of a water jug. And you use it as a frisbee, and you hit it with a broomstick. So you, you can understand how difficult that is and how much hand-eye coordination you need. That was a game that we played pretty much all the time. So I guess I got a lot of training. I didn't know it was training. I was just having fun. Um, but now I could honestly tell you that every single major leaguer in from the Dominican Republic, right now playing, active and retired, doesn't matter, played La Plaquita, which is that cricket game, and also played caps which is the one I just explained. So think about that as training. You know, these guys, all these superstars that you see today playing, guaranteed played the version of cricket here in the Dominican Republic and also played the, the Caps version that I just gave you. So uh, I got incredible training since I was a little kid. But organized baseball, when I was 10 years old, that would be late in the United States. So how does La Plaquita work? And what does that mean? Okay, so <laughs> we call it La Plaquita simply because let me tell you what we do. We grab a plate, you know, a license plate from a car, you know, which is a tag. We grab it. We take it out of the car. We take it off, you know, and usually the car, you know, wasn't, it wasn't ours. <laughs> so you stole it. We you were kids, we were there kids. you go. First rule of La Plaquita, steal a license plate. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, we were trying to find ones that were like out of date or something. And they were in the junk somewhere, junk jar somewhere. And we used to grab them. And then what we do was we would bend them in a way that they, they would stand. They would stand on the ground. And this would be exactly what you use in cricket. You know, what the, 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 what you try to knock down in cricket, it's basically what we try to knock down. That's La Plaquita. And if you can imagine the same setup, two on two uh, uh, this, at this point, we played it on the street. So we didn't have the luxury of, like, a wide uh, field. So imagine just a, a street. And we would put two of these plates down, and the hitter's job was to protect it. The pitcher's job was to knock it down. So basically with a bat, you would protect your plate, and every time you hit him, while the fielders went after the ball and chased it, we would just run. And uh, every time you ran and touched the other guy's plate, would be two runs. It would go two, four, six. It's kind of difficult to explain. I mean, if I could show you in a video, which hopefully you'll be able to see soon. I think I sent one over as we uh, are doing this uh, MLB UK and promoting the game of baseball. You'll be able to see it. But, man, we will play that all day, Max. I mean, this, this thing was like the thing we did and really, really helped us become, you know, it helped me become a better baseball player in the major league. So what is crazy is that this is exactly it's very similar to cricket. So you see all those awesome cricket players that you have over there. They already have a good foundation as far as hand-eye coordination is concerned to become professional baseball players. So wouldn't it be cool to see that someone cross over and actually come from cricket and actually play baseball? Yeah. That would be amazing. I, I think, think it could be done. I think we're going to find out because we've got Alex Hales and Joss Butler, who England international cricket players at this Hyde Park home run derby. So we're going to see what they're made of. And you mentioned the, the lack of width in the game of La Plaquita. Did that help you in terms of hitting straight up the middle, straight up the field, to, back towards the pitcher? 
Exactly. See, in baseball, we always taught that it's important to make sure we stay very linear, very linear. So we want to hit towards the towards the pitcher. You know, the ball's coming at you. You want to hit it right back where it came from. The reason being is because there's a lot of timing involved in this uh, game of baseball hitting. And if you're able to at least, you know, have an aiming point that is neutral, right back where it came from, then let's say you're a little late, the ball will leave your bat just slightly to the left of where it was pitched from. And if you were a little early, the ball will will be leaving the bat slightly to the right, you know, vice versa. If you're a right-handed hitter, I'm a left-handed. And those are great hits because they are in fair territory in baseball. So it's uh, it was great training because that is that is very key. It's actually one of the principles, you know, that never change. Every single major league coach would tell you, "Hey, let's hit this ball right back up the middle." It's very important to stay linear, to stay square, and that's exactly what we were doing. When we were kids. We needed to hit the hit the ball back in the street because if it went to the side, it was like in someone's house or. <laughs> underneath something we couldn't get it and, and the game would stall until we could retreat that ball you know uh, and we didn't like stalling we wanted to just we wanted to play <laughs> man and you got me intrigued now because you said that every guy that currently plays or has played from the DR played this game so that brings me to David Ortiz have you ever spoken to him about this game David Ortiz played La Plaquita 100% <laughs> and not, not once not twice I'm talking about almost like an everyday occurrence I mean we could go up and down. I mean, David Ortiz is a superstar, Hall of Famer, uh, first ballot Hall of Famer when 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 he's uh, eligible. Um, that's that's what I'm predicting. If you look at at all these superstars right now, Robinson Cano, Nelson Cruz, um, you know, all these Dominican. You know, we have the most major leaguers per capita, Dominican Republic. All of them, every single one of them, played La Plaquita, which is a form of cricket. That to me is so curious. That that, that that whole entire, you know, just how it was, it was for preparation. You know, I know the kids were just playing it for fun, but they're major leaguers today, impact players, Hall of Famers, and they all played this modified version of cricket. Just think about that for a second. <laughs> well, wait, we we invented cricket, so I guess Carlos, you're welcome. You're very welcome. <laughs> Exactly. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> hey, yeah. You've got to return the favor somehow. No, I'm joking. Um, hey, what do you think's harder, having watched, uh, having watched some cricket clips now, which sport do you think would be harder to play, cricket or baseball? It's, it's just it's different. You know, I could not imagine trying to hit a ball that has already bounced. You know, and, and I saw many uh, of the highlights that I've watched because obviously I've done... Now, uh, plenty of researchers just watching the game. Now that I know that I'll be over there this summer, uh, I want to learn as much as I can, you know, from the game. Um, and I'm still learning, you know. But I, I've seen balls that bounce, and the, the the better hitters, they they're able to get their hands like really tight to their bodies, and make sure that the bat is perfectly square to the ball. Which to me is almost like, are you serious? How in the world do you? do that i mean do you do it on purpose i mean <laughs> or is this by luck because it looks like it's so different see in baseball is it's the fact that we have a round bat that makes it more difficult but we don't have to hit balls to hit the ground as a matter of fact if the ball hits the ground i can let it go and i'm not penalized for it 
Um, and in, in, in cricket, if you if the ball bounces and then you don't protect your area, you know you don't you're not you don't protect what you're supposed to protect. Well, then you're gonna be you're gonna be out. You know you're gonna be defeated. In baseball, we can let it go if it bounces the ball to us, and you better come in, in, in the zone that we want. So in that in that sense, it's easier to hit the baseball now. Where baseball gets challenging is the fact that we have a round bat and we have to hit a round ball and we have to hit it square, which is virtually impossible, right? <laughs> Sounds hard enough. I, think I, wi- I wish I had the cricket bat, though, Max. Oh, the you're going bat. to. We are going to put you in a game with a helmet, some pads. You're going to have to wear a jock strap and we're going to get you in the middle of a game and then you can see what it's like. I think the difference with cricket is you really have to learn to stay in, maneuver the ball, and play play shots all around the field. You know, I think the misconception cricket players have of baseball is that you just have to smash it for a home run. That's not the case, as we know. But with cricket, it's a lot more tactical, moving the ball around the field. I think it's, it's unbelievable back control. You know, I, I've seen these guys, and they're really good at it, and they they're they're able to to you know hit the ball in different ways to different places um, and it's remarkable to me the back control it's it's really what, what catches my attention you know I'm like wait a second I mean that's that's on purpose and I cannot it, it's hard for me to, to even imagine uh, that type of control when the ball is being thrown and you are it's unpredictable what the ball is going to do uh, so it's so uh, you know it's so it's so fascinating to me and I, you like you said it Max I can't wait to put on all the equipment, and <laughs> let me tell you something, I'm going to take like a million pictures, because the, the pictures are going to be for the ages, you know, I'm going to keep them so that my grandkids can look at them, it's like, yeah, daddy played Major League Baseball and cricket, oh, well, in the, England. The worst <laughs> thing you can do is get out first ball, make sure you don't get out first ball. <laughs> that's uh, no, 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 that's like you. a pop-up, first pitch, pop-up, back to the dugout. No, I don't like it, I don't like that, I don't <laughs> like that, no, 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 I'm looking to at least uh, be a, somewhat of an impact player in in cricket, okay? I want to definitely do it right. Okay. Otherwise, why even do it at all? That's very true. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> um, moving moving on from uh, from the cricket side of things, when you were, am I right in saying when you were 12 years of age, you moved to Massachusetts? Yes, I actually went over to uh, Massachusetts, and that was crazy because we left the Dominican Republic, and my father and, and my, well, my parents, mom and dad, they decided to, to move over to the States. You know, we had the opportunity to uh, take residency in the United States, and it was one of those decisions that they had to to make because the opportunity arose, and they said yes, let's go because it's going to be better for our kids, you know, broaden broaden their horizons and uh, maybe a brighter future for them, uh, which is remarkable to me. My parents actually were very well established professionals here in the American Republic, and they left all that behind just because they wanted us to have a little bit more latitude, you know, and uh, that to me, you know, that's just self-sacrifice and at the end of the day, pure love, you know, and to this day, I, I thank my parents for that because, um, you know, because that way I, I see what I've been able to experience uh, throughout my my life, you know, my baseball career, my, my when I went to, to school and college and university and um, and how important it was for me to have the opportunity to be in the States. So uh, that's something that I'll be forever grateful, you know, from my parents. And really, there's nothing I could say or do 
to to show him how grateful I am, except be the best the best man I could possibly be, and, and hopefully make him proud. That's amazing, and I, I think I just said to you before the show uh, that London is having somewhat of a mini heat wave at the moment. But in the in Massachusetts in the winter, it is very very cold. So how how did you keep playing baseball? Did you keep playing baseball? That's the first thing I told my father. I'm like, uh, when he said he, we were going to move, I'm like, God, we we can't go to the states. It's cold over there <laughs> because for some reason. I thought New York was the states, you know, because that's the only place I've been to the United States, you know, before I had been there, it was just New York because I had some uncles there. And I'm like, I don't want to go there, it's freezing over there, we can't play baseball over there. And he said, remember that the major leagues are played in the United States. So I was like, oh, that's right. So I guess, <laughs> I guess maybe that's not so bad, maybe I should go try it. But we, we arrived in Massachusetts, like you said, you know, when the winter rolled around, it was insane. And Max, you know, we are a family of six. We went to another uh, uncle that we had in Massachusetts. We went to his house. And we actually had to stay in the attic at the beginning, which was very, very difficult because we had no heat up there. So very often we would just wow. sleep um, all. We, we had a mattress, and we all sleep in the mattress. And remember, it's my mom and dad, my, my other, you know, three siblings. So... And we would just leave in the same mattress, and we wouldn't take our, our coats off. We wouldn't take our, our winter uh, gear off. So we would sleep on those things just to stay warm. Um, so that was kind of crazy. At the same time, you know, it was great for the family. We bonded. We, we, we going through those struggles at the beginning of our stay in the United States really made us come closer together. And there was a lot of growth there that eventually I was able to draw upon when I was challenged uh, later on in life, uh, so it's it's like this. I don't I don't regret one second of, of of doing that and going through those type of difficulties because that's exactly what shaped me. Um, and maybe whenever I was able, whenever I faced these uh, challenges that they did come, I I was able to draw from those moments of of, of weakness where I became stronger because I had to overcome. Um, and I think it goes with my brothers will tell you the same thing. My sister will tell you the same thing. Um, so it's something that I would not change whatsoever. The lessons I learned during that difficult time were invaluable. And I'm still drawing from those uh, today. So um, even though it was difficult, I'm very grateful for those moments. I saw a, you're doing some TV work for MLB Network, and I saw a segment on there where you talked about how used to play with basketballs in the winter because you know that would that would generate a lot more power in the arms it'd be harder to swing through the ball um is that something you did when you got there when you arrived oh max innovation you know it, it's just the bottom line when you when the where a human being is pushed to the to the to the limit in any way in any form we always seem to find or we should right find ways to adjust find ways to uh profit from whatever situation we may be in so at that moment, I want to play baseball, but it's like 20 inches of snow outside. What do I do? Um, you know, I was building stuff uh, underground to hit, you know, on, on the local YMCA where there was no batting cage. Uh, I would make a batting cage. I would go into the basketball gym, and this is the drill you're talking about, and I would tell the people in the Y, YMCA was unbelievable, right? It's the, the youth organization, as we all know. Um, and I would say, hey, can I have five basketballs? And they would let me borrow five basketballs. And they thought I was just going to go shoot around <laughs> the basketball. 
on the gym. And eventually what we did was hit him. And this is one of the most, uh, you know, effective power drills that you could possibly do. Because if you think about it, when you hit a basketball, you, you, you feel this force and really wants to knock the bat off your hands. Uh, but instead, you just drive through. You drive through the basketball. It's kind of heavy. And imagine all your muscles that you utilize to hit at contact get engaged. Your wrist, your forearms, your core, your legs um, get all engaged. And not only that, at contact, you feel that impact, but then you have to push through. When you go hit a baseball, which is arguably you know, three times, maybe even four times lighter, um, that feels lighter than a basketball. I mean, you could imagine how much force you would be delivering uh, to the baseball when you make contact. So it's truly, truly one of the drills that I kept on doing throughout my baseball career. Even when I was a major league baseball player, I just kept on using it because it was extremely effective. So we've established so far then, Carlos, at the age of 12, you had stolen hundreds of Plaquita license plates and destroyed all the YMCA basketballs. <laughs> this guy's a menace to society. Wow. How did you stay out of trouble? <laughs> no, man, that's, that's outstanding. You know, when we moved over to Massachusetts, I, I have to say, it, it was not the the best part of town, you know what I mean? And they, there were many ways that we could have gotten into serious trouble. Mm. But mom and dad were so good about, you know, hey guys, look, this, these are your choices, you know, either you want to do something, you have to go to the Y. But otherwise, you're not going to be outside right now, because obviously, the, you know, it's, it's just not safe. And there were a lot of, uh, unfortunately, the area we lived in, there was there were a lot of drugs, uh, you know, uh, a lot of uh, uh, crime being out there, a lot of uh, youth getting in trouble and doing things that they shouldn't be doing. But mom and dad were very clear with us. And, wow, by the grace of God, you know, we were kids that listened. Um, you know, and uh, I, I think it's just our, our upbringing. You know, whatever, whatever mom and dad spoke, even though maybe we did not like it, you know, we knew that it was best for us. So we just obeyed. And to this day, Max, I mean, I, I told you, I, I thank my parents all the time, but, you know, I, I get specific about it. I'm like, Dad, you remember when you told me not to go to this party, per se? Thank you for that. Mm. Thank you. You know, I, 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 I obeyed you, but I got to say that I was a little upset with you because I couldn't understand why you wouldn't let me go. Now I understand. I have three kids now. Now I understand. I thank you for that. Um, so it's, I get a specific with that, you know, that used to be a very good and you know, encouraging me, you know, for example, when I, when I started playing organized baseball, uh, you, you know, we, we out there and I have pitchers pitching to me for some reason, Max, I couldn't hit the ball. I just couldn't. It was just, let's put it this way, too organized for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? When you, when you got to the U S you mean, when I got, when I started playing organized ball, when I was 10 years old, okay. You know, and, and and I'm like, I couldn't, I wasn't good. I was not good on a official baseball field. I needed to be on the streets. What changed? That, what, what, what was so different about it? It, it, it was, it was too, too structured, you know, and, uh, you know, I had a pitcher on a mound, you know, and I had the baseball field and I had the catcher with equipment behind me and I had a, you know, a, a, a bat instead of a stick, you know, it was, it was, it was silly, but I, but I could not perform. And, and dad, but I was 10 years old. So it's like, 
you know, whatever that says, right? And and when dad just kept encouraging me, saying stuff like, wow, you, that was a great swing, even though I didn't hit the ball, or that was a great foul ball, even though I didn't hit the ball in the fair territory or forward, he would say, wow, you hit that ball backwards so hard. <laughs> was, great foul ball. Right, now, right? It's a great foul ball. And I thank that dad today. My father said, dad, you know what? Thank you so much for for that. I believed you. When you said that was a great foul ball, I believed you. And it made me want to come back the next day. And uh, you, need, you, uh, that, you certainly need this kind of support when you play cricket then. Because if you do a real bad job, you know, you're going you're gonna to be loved for it. I should be able to take it a little bit better than I, than if, when I was ten years old. Now that I'm, you know, not, now that I'm twenty five, I should be able to take it a little bit, you know, a uh, little better. I'm more mature now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Um, but with those with those life lessons that they taught you, and it's really interesting to hear you talk about it. When you were drafted in '98 to the Texas Rangers, you played at all three minor league levels: single A, double A, triple A. Which is, I guess, not every player does that, but what was the eye-opening moment that you had grafting in the minor leagues and then when did you implement those lessons that you'd learned in Massachusetts, sleeping in that one room? What, what, did that go through your mind at all? You know, immediately, as soon as I signed, you know, I was exposed to the fact that all of a sudden I'm by myself. I'm on my own. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm out in Savannah, Georgia, and I'm playing for the... Savannah Sangnats, which is the minor league low A, which is the category I was playing at the moment in minor leagues, their ball club. And I get there, and I'm like, wow, I have no place to stay. And I'm like, uh, who do you call? You know, well, you, you have to figure it out. And I remember sleeping, you know, for example, on the floor that day of a, of a buddy's apartment because it was packed. A lot of players were, like, renting at the same time. Um, and I'm like, wait a second, this is crazy. Like, hey, man, you need to get organized. And, um you know, immediately I'm like, okay, this is the real deal. I mean, you are in in the in an organization right now, but nobody's going to put anything on a platter for you. You still have to fight for it. So, even just uh, living arrangements were something that maybe I didn't think about. But all of a sudden, I'm on my own, and I have to make sure that hey, okay, I have an apartment. Do I have an apartment to stay in? Do I have to, you know, make sure that my meals are square? Make sure that I'm getting uh, the, the proper nutrition if I'm going to be training so hard. And uh, it's like all of a sudden you have to grow up faster, you know, because at that moment I was just 20 years old and uh, I just got out of college, which is, which is a slight reality, you know, a slight taste of reality, but still not reality, you know, and uh, now the challenges were a little bit more in my face, you know, it's like, hey, either you take care of yourself or no one will at this moment, so let's go. So even immediately when I signed, um, it got harder before it got easier but then you get a hang of it you get uh, into a routine um and i just pretty much cruised through the levels i did pretty well uh, and performed really well and uh, and at those days you know they wouldn't rush a prospect so i spent time in low a high a double a triple a and finally the major leagues and i guess uh, that's what you would call seasoning i got a lot of seasoning <laughs> and i guess i was ready uh, in 2001, when I got the call, do you see uh, minor league players when you were in, when you were there? Teammates, you know those long bus rides. There's no charter flights. The the food isn't always the best. The motels. Did you see any faces that suggested, you know, I want to quit? I'm I'm 20 years old, and I'm this is not what I expected. No doubt about it, Max. Uh, many times, uh, especially when you start struggling, 
because remember, this is the first time you're going to play baseball every single day. So you like, you you have to show up, even if you had a bad game last night, and even if you have two games in a row where there, you know, you were pretty much overmatched or or you you felt ashamed because of your performance, you still have to show up. So the ability to brush off, leave behind the past, and then come back and be in the present and bring the best of yourself in the present, that's an art. You know, and not only for baseball, for any sport for that matter, in life, right? In life, it's, it's such a, an important um, lesson to learn. It's the fact that we cannot carry the path, you know, we, we can't carry the past with us uh, and, and just keep all that weight on us. We have to be able to brush ourselves off and just start off fresh every single day. And, wow, in baseball, you better know how to do that or you will succumb. You will break down and you will quit. Um, it's just the bottom line. It's every single day. And the minor leagues were a 142-game season. Um, so imagine doing this for 142 games straight, well, maybe a, a day off here and there, but uh, it's like uh, when a boxer gets in the ring and they start getting punched, <laughs> and you're looking for the bell to ring, but the clock is just winding down too slowly. Many times I felt that way in the minor leagues, and you have to dance around the ring, do whatever you can to survive until you get a, to catch your breath, you know. Very, very challenging, but... Uh, I was able to endure, and uh, and then it was it was it was all worth it. Looking back on it, it was a beautiful experience. Throughout your career, though, did you ever have anything food-wise from the Dominican or some sort of good luck charm? Was there anything that you carried with you or needed uh, for these long seasons? No, really, I wasn't. I wasn't super t- superstitious uh, per se. You know, one of the things that's very important for me, man, is it's just uh, my faith. You know, I, I I come from a family who believes. Um, you know, and God, and 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 my father, my mom used to always say before um, I I used to walk out of that apartment uh, when I was even before I got signed. When I went to the Y, every time I left the house, you know, she says, "Hey, make sure that every single day that you walk, you know, walk out there that you keep in mind that your strength uh, comes from God." And I'll, I'll tell you what, that has been an anchor for me. Uh, uh, for you know, all the days of my life, and I, I still to this day, uh, I don't leave the house uh, understanding that there is a higher power that that really just uh, carries me, and um, that, that that is key for me. It makes me fight harder. It makes me uh, um, just go with you know, metal to the to, to, you know to, to the floor every single day. I don't I don't I don't uh, I don't ease up because I know that there is that God is with me. So I would say that was key. Because in the moments of weakness, that's exactly what you want to do. You want to quit. And I'm like, no, 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 man. You need to finish this race. And, and you're going to finish with dignity. So let's go. You know, and I would get up in the morning, even though I didn't want to. I had an 0-4 game with four strikeouts. That, hey, I have to show up today and I have to give my best. Um, very difficult. See, the stadium is filled, 50,000 fans, you know, and, and you have those, those type of games where it's, you know, you, you, it's shameful. You know, four strikeouts. And, uh, many times I even have to get up a fifth time. So you could imagine that I was staring down that fifth strikeout. Um, imagine what do you draw strength from? You know, well, my faith was key in all these moments. 
You've already reiterated, um, and I'll, I'll get through the last few questions here, Carlos. You've already iterated that Tampa Bay was one of your favourite spots to play, probably the best time of your career. You had a great year in 07, 46 home runs. But what I really want you to tell the listeners is the story about when you were bit in the sea before a game. <laughs> that is awesome. Let me tell you one thing. Okay. The... the the Tampa Bay Rays is an organization that's been around for years now, you know, over a decade. Uh, I don't know. It's a young organization, but I'm not sure exactly how many years it has, but I, w- I would say maybe 15, 16, maybe even 20 years already. Young organization. Well, let me tell you, there's only been one true Ray. And you know who the one true Ray is? I am. And I want to <laughs> tell you exactly why. All right? I did have my best years in Tampa, okay? Went to the World Series, you know, led the league of home runs, you know, a modesty aside. I uh, went to an all-star game, you know, silver slugger, whatever you want. You can call all the, all the uh, gold glove, whatever, all the awards. But let me tell you exactly why I'm a true Ray. Besides the fact that I just loved being there, right? And I really wore that jersey um, with pride. I actually got bit by a Ray. <laughs> so I have Ray poison in my veins right now. So I, you know, just like Spider-Man. <laughs> you are a Ray for life. <laughs> I am a ray for life. So I'm out there one morning because I used to do this. This was my routine. I used to go out jogging every single morning before the game at the beach because that's where I lived, on the beach. And, and then when, when I was done with my job, my wife and my daughter at the time would come down. Um, and my daughter was the only one that was born at that time. Uh, my son, Nicolas, and Mateo were born uh, maybe a few years later. But I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm jogging. Now it's time for me to go in the water after a nice jog. And when I'm in the water, my wife and, and daughter are down there. I feel something stab my foot. And I'm talking about pain shot up through my leg. I was like, whoa, what was that? When I get out of the water, I see that I have like a, a wound on my foot. And, and it, there's an entry wound and an exit wound. And I'm like, what? Is, this is crazy. When I started to complain to my wife, my leg started to go numb. I'm like, my leg is going numb. <laughs> Did she tell <laughs> you to stop whining? Well, she started laughing. I was like, no, 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 I'm serious. And, and she's like, wow, you're serious? I'm like, yes. So she calls 911, and now all the emergency vehicles start coming over, and uh, they get to the beach, and they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, my leg is numb. I just got stabbed by something. And they're like, you got bit by a stingray. That's what it is. I'm like, yeah. They're like, is it tingling? I'm like, yes, it's tingling. So that's a stingray, and they put my foot in a bucket of warm water and soap. I guess that's the remedy. And slowly but surely, like an hour later, I could see my leg come back, the feeling on my leg come back. And But now, guess what? I have to go to the stadium. I have a game that night. So I get to the stadium. My leg's still kind of tingling slightly. And I'm like, wow, I still feel weird, you know? I, I, I don't feel normal, but, you know, I, I can I can play. And I'm, I don't want to tell the doctors of the team because they'll be like, what are you doing out there swimming, you know, whatever. Uh, so I didn't say anything. Well, I went out there that day, Max, and I hit two home runs. And, wow. and my <laughs> wife, we were la- we having the, the hugest laugh, and that's when I actually said it, that I got bit by a stingray because I had two home runs. So I could, I could say it, right? <laughs> you know what, Carlos? <laughs> Shades of Kurt Gibson, one-legged up to the plate, smashes it out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Man, I, I told everybody after the fact, I was like, yeah, I got beat by a like, stingray this morning. They thought I was joking. I was like, I'm serious. I'm not joking. And I hit home runs that day. 
So, needless to say, every other morning, I was out there trying to get bit by a stingray again. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to go. If it's going to be the trade-off, get stabbed by a stingray and hit two runs, I would trade it. It's fine. Yeah, I was you, able to do it. Yeah, and you knew the antidote was a bucket of soap and water, so that's fine. Exactly. I would. I would have that as a routine, a pregame routine. Get bit by a stingray, suck you know, a bucket of soap and warm water, then go hit two home runs. I'll do that every single day. Uh, you would have been a <laughs> hall of famer, Carlos, if the stingrays had to come out every day. But then they they are they were you know they come by season. So as soon as the you know the month went by, there weren't that many stingrays anymore. See, I actually know because you think I'm joking. I was for real. I was trying to get bit again. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way the way the team used to be called the Devil Rays uh, is that. What? Why is that? Is that because rays are devil? <laughs> I don't understand that. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a species of ray that used to be called that, and then and then this is incredible, you know, because the whole entire story of how you became a ray, it's it's ridiculous, you know. I I, I had gone through some tough times in 2006. And 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 then in 2007, I got invited to go to a to, to the training camp. So I wasn't even guaranteed. And, and, and to, to, the truth is that I didn't even make the team. I, I went home after spring training. And the reason why I got a call was because one of the players got hurt. You know, I was really positive. I was really, you know, maintained an incredible focus, even despite the fact that I had just uh, gone release. And I got a call saying that one of the first basemen uh, during that game got hurt, and they needed a first baseman because the season started in two days. And I was like, really? I was like, okay, fine, let's sign again. I signed again with the Devil Rays, and that's how I got on the team. I didn't even play the first month of April until finally, because of another injury, I got more playing time, Max, and I just went off in 2007. I ended up hitting 46 home runs with 121 RBI, and uh, got comeback player of the year, and it was like a bunch of franchise records and things like that. But just think for a second how how it happened. I wasn't even on the team to begin the the, the year. But how right? how do you explain a turnaround like that? Is it just a case of seeing the ball better? You you feel like it was? Do you, did you feel like it was your last shot to really prove yourself? You know, there's something there's something to that because this is the thing. I don't think I could replicate that type of feeling. Um, remember where I was. I was in my couch in my house without a team when I got the call. So I was coming to terms with the fact that I was not playing baseball. Um, and then I get this call. So you could imagine how I felt once I had the jersey of the Devil Rays on. I felt like I was in heaven. I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. I, 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 I'm so grateful to be here. I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm playing, I'm playing with house money here. That's kind of that's kind of a feeling that I got. So so go out. You have nothing to lose in the whole entire world to gain. Um, and and that attitude, you know, really it was not me trying to press it upon myself mentally. It's really where I was. It's really where I was. And uh, look what ended up happening. Happening. I just uh, exploded. And you know, it doesn't matter how much harder I try to replicate that type of mentality you couldn't I couldn't because everything was so precisely orchestrated you know so um, at least I learned that having that type of uh, mental state and that type of relaxed focus where you want to become and perform 
and become the, the the best performer in the world, but at the same time, you're not afraid to risk it all on the precipice. You know, that type of mentality cannot be faked. But at the very least, it could be pursued. Uh, so that's what I try to do years after that. You know, and I ended up having a great time over there in uh, in Tampa, including a World Series appearance. Pretty much the very next year when they became the Tampa Bay Rays and they dropped the devil and everything <laughs> changed. You know, it was great. The Tampa Bay Stingrays. And you, uh, you said Joe Madden was your, your manager then. Do you, do you have a story about Joe Madden that I wouldn't know about? Joe Joe's one of these guys that, that uh, it's so loose. He's such a player, player's manager. And one of the greatest stories is the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm – I'm getting to the park, and I'm usually getting to the park with you know sand on my feet. You know, I got my sandals on. I just came from the from 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 the beach because that's like I told you that was my routine every morning. And uh, some guys were like, "Oh, Carlos, uh, what are you doing?" You know, and I kind of like felt felt a little ashamed. You know, at the moment I was like, "Oh my goodness, uh, did, did I do something wrong?" You know what I mean? Because I felt like maybe I shouldn't go to the beach in the morning. You know, um, seriously, this is I'm dead serious. I was like questioning myself. Maybe maybe it's not proper for me to do that. You know. Um, and Joe caught a, caught a gist of that and, and interrupted me, pretty much interrupted me. He goes, Carlos, listen to me. I need you to keep going to the beach every single morning. And if you get here before three o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> I'm going to be really upset at you. I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. You're trying to tell me not to get here early. I'm like, three o'clock is early. We don't start working out until 4.30. I just don't want you here at one. What are you going to do, play cards? I don't want you here playing cards and, and, and wasting your time. I want you to be with your daughter and your wife at the beach every morning. That's what I want you to do. Then at 3 o'clock, show up so you have enough time to, you know, put on your uniform and just get loose uh, for a workout. I was like, this guy's got to be joking, you know. But what was he doing? He was just trying to encourage me so I could be in that place, in that relaxed state. And, um, and man, I, I had great years with Joe because that was his mentality. He was all about what is it that really matters instead of all these uh, worthless traditions at times that really hold us back. So he blew my mind uh, when he said that. And uh, I, I can see why he has kept on having a lot of success. I, I read the uh, the book about the Cubs, the Cubs World Series Championship. Tom Viducci wrote The Cubs Way, and there was a great chapter about Joe Madden and how you know he drives cross country in his caravan with his wife uh, to this day from Florida across the country, and how his his dad, who's passed away years ago now, he's got a hat that he used to wear that he has in the dugout with him, and he was he was showing it out when the Cubs won the World Series, and. He seems like, you know, you see all the times with the Cubs team, they, they dress up when they went to the West Coast this season. They dressed up. Um, was, there any, was there a time when you did that as well, when you went on the road and you got to put, a, put your best suit on? Oh, man, we, we dressed in so many different ways, and that's exactly what he was trying to, to accomplish, is just loosen up the ball club. Uh, you know, kind of like, let's, let's get out of those parameters and limits that you set on yourself. See, I'm not concerned about that stuff. I'm not bogged down by all these things that don't really matter. What I really need is you guys to come to play. I need you guys to be happy. I need you guys to be ready to go. And I'm not going to hold you guys down. So that was his way of saying, guys, have fun and play the game. You know, at the end, at the end of the day, we're just grown men playing a kid's game. And the only way you're going to have success is if you are able to really enjoy it on a daily basis. And really, when you're enjoying it, then that's when your talent will be able to express itself freely. 
And uh, that's what Joe accomplishes. I mean, he gets the best out of his players. Carlos, I've got two more for you, then you can go and order a pina colada, okay? Um, <laughs> you played for the Red Sox and the Dodgers, but where would you rather call home, Fenway Park or Wrigley Field? Um, Fenway Park, man. Fenway Park has just all these, uh, these... I mean, look, Wrigley was unbelievable, but Fenway Park was amazing, just simply because I went to school in Boston. I dreamt about the Red Sox, you know, and, and, and that park. I even got to play for the Red Sox for, for a little bit. And just the smell of that place, you know, you could smell the, the pine tar, you know, the stuff that we put on the bats. You could smell um, the, the grill. We could smell the, you know, the, the hops of the beer. I could smell popcorn, peanuts. It was unbelievable. It was so vivid to me uh, so that I would actually be at first base during the game and I would just take in a deep breath because I wanted to take in the smells of that place, the history of that place. And it's always was this incredible, out-of-this-world experience when I stepped on, on Fenway Park. I mean, just to think, you know, of all the greats that have played uh, in this cathedral of baseball. Wow. That's amazing. It's my favorite stadium that I've been to. Okay, last one. You've sent me some workout videos for our MLB UK videos <laughs> in the gym. Pull-ups, push-ups, weight work. I gotta say, and you know, I don't want to sound creepy here, but you are pretty, pretty jacked. Um, are you working out harder now than you did as a pro? Because it looks like you are. Max, that is absolutely the truth. <laughs> I, I've been just—I I don't know what's been going on, but I think it has to do with that type of mentality that I, that, that I just been discussing throughout the call. That I, I don't, I don't want to give in. You know, I just want to keep on extending myself and see how, how far I can push my body or uh, my mind, you know, so I can't sit still, Max. I, I'm always working out, trying to figure out how many pulls in a row I can do, how many, you know, how, how fast can I do this circuit and, and, and still feel in control? How, how much can I, uh, can I run and, and, and still be strong enough to, to uh, bust out my, my, you know, 20 pull-ups and then go back and sprint again and then go back and bust 20 pull-ups and I, I want to I figure that out. And whenever I find that limit, I, I train to then over, overcome it, you know, and, and really just go past what I, you know, what I just, uh, what I just did and accomplished. So in many ways, I'm actually training harder than I used to uh, when I played. And I, I'm, I'm loving every single, every single second of it, um, just simply because I think it's just in, in, my, in my spirit. It's just to be, to be a fighter, to be... I love sports and, and really just push not only my body to the limit, but my mind to the limit. Uh, it's just the way I'm wired. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing those big muscles being utilized in a game of cricket <laughs> in about three weeks' time. So everyone's got to come down to see you on July the 4th, Hyde Park in London. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. I can't wait, buddy. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to this. and uh, um, it's, it's just going to be great for baseball, and I think it's going to be awesome for the United Kingdom as a whole, a whole and London is just going to have a blast it's going to be awesome indeed and hopefully you'll meet the Queen thank you for your energy uh, and your time <laughs> tonight it was really fun and I guess you're going to go back now and I don't know pull up pull ups pull ups at the beach right yeah I'll see if I can find somewhere I can hang and <laughs> start maybe, maybe a coconut a coconut tree of these I mean, maybe that'll work <laughs> oh man feed the stereotype <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys uh, man Max thanks for having me I really appreciate the time buddy La Plaquita is going to make it to the UK we're going to make sure Carlos shows all us Brits how to play La Plaquita and maybe learn some Spanish as well while we're at it thank you to Carlos 
my guest this week on the US Sports Podcast. If you like what you've heard today, please go on to iTunes, rate, review, subscribe. If you can write some kind words about the show, give me a rating. That would be absolutely fantastic. It really helps promotion of the show to get the word out there about the US Sports Podcast. I really appreciate that. If you'd like to ask me any questions, I'm on Twitter at Max underscore Whittle, two T's L-E at the end. And thank you to Carlos again. Thank you to you, listener, kind listener. Enjoy the weather if you are in the UK. It's going to get horrible again soon. I predict that right now. Next week, Dennis Seitz back on NBA. There's going to be a ton to talk about after the draft. And another baseball guest coming up soon, a special guest from the Boston Red Sox. So keep it here. Talk to you next time. Yeah.